0: Amen. Well, I needed that. That was good. You know, a couple of weeks ago, one of our staff members was talking about worship, and I'm going to mess up what she said because I'm paraphrasing. I don't remember the exact language, but, but basically she said, you know, worship is the place where she feels closest to God. Uh, and I I, I love that I think that resonated with a bunch of us particularly the type a personalities Like I am that guy that Matt described at the beginning of the service, you know We did this we did this we did this we did this and and then I spent 10 years as a lawyer accounting for every six minutes of my life So that just made it worse, you know, it aggravated my pre-existing condition And I remember when I first started doing this you know, probably for maybe the first three years and this goes back a ways now at this point, you know Like I, I'm, I'm I'm trying to sing and I'm trying to be present and I'm trying to be here And I'm trying to worship, but really I'm thinking, okay, what what am am I going to say when I get up there? And what is my introduction to my message again? You know, it was like so distracting. And what it's become for me is a kind of a timeless place. It's a place where I can take all of the things that I've got going on, whatever they may be, and give myself permission to, in a sense, take a break from everything and let everything in my life bow to the presence of the Lord who is here. If my phone is blowing up, you know what? I'll see it when I'm done. If the world ends while we're here, chances are we'll catch that on the radio or something on the way home. We come together to experience the gospel, guys, to to remember who this God is and experience, first of all, the, the crushing weight of His glory, and then to remember that in His love, He has rescued and redeemed us to rest in that and from the overflow of that, to not worry about anything else and to sing and to worship and to just be. That's a beautiful thing. And then we come to the word of the Lord, remembering who he is and who we are and realizing that he has wisdom to give to us that we can't get anywhere else. The designer of everything has spoken and it is wise to take in what he says. So as matt said at the beginning of our service today, we are talking about marriage today And the question that we're taking up and hopefully going to answer is the question of okay What's the big deal about marriage? And I thought that maybe it'd be helpful to approach this and try to answer it through the lens of a different question That i've heard a lot that maybe you've heard a lot And it's a question that's asked very sincerely by people who really don't understand And oftentimes for good reason what the big deal is about marriage like they were raised in a dysfunctional home So they're looking at that and they're going hey If that's what you're suggesting, keep it, because I'm not interested in that. So nobody's shown this to me, nobody's taught this to me, nobody's explained this to me, and so I sit down with them at lunch or whatever, and they say something like, you know, Tom, here's the deal, we are totally in love, why do we need a piece of paper to tell us something we already know? In other words, Tom, marriage is about feelings, and you don't need a piece of paper to have feelings, which incidentally is true, isn't it? But here's the problem. Marriage is not about feelings. It's not about passions. It's not about feelings. And I'm not downplaying those things. I'm not saying they don't have their place. I'm not saying they don't exist in my marriage. They do. I'm just telling you, it's not about that, even though they are overwhelmingly powerful, particularly at first. Researchers have applied brain imaging technology to the brains of people who are in love. And then they had these people who are really in love look at pictures of their beloved, you know? And what they discovered is that the parts of the brain that light up are the same parts of the brain that are associated with drug addiction. It's true. Dr. Helen Fisher, one of the neuropsychologists who did this research, listen to what she says and just tell me, you who have been in love, that's all of us, probably, if you have not experienced these things. She says, when I first started looking at the properties of infatuation, and that's what we're talking about when we talk about those passions and those feelings that are just overwhelming to us. And infatuation, by the way, is good. Infatuation is fun. Infatuation plays a role. It has its place. But she says, when I first started looking at the properties of infatuation, they had some of the same elements of a cocaine high. Now look at the elements. Sleeplessness. Can you relate to that? Do you remember those days? What else? loss of sense of time. That's when you go to the restaurant and you sit down with this person like that you're totally into and they're totally into you. And the next thing, you know, the owner of the restaurant is going, Hey man, we've been blinking the lights on and off. You know, like the waiting staff has cleared every other table. I don't know if you guys haven't noticed and we haven't, but we're trying to shut down here. And you're like, good grief. We've been here for five hours. And I'm a man, which means I have very limited number of words to use every single day. I've just used like three months of words (laughs) in five hours. It's bizarre. It's crazy. What about the next one? Absolute focus on love to the detriment of all around you. Okay, don't raise your hand, but you know this. You start dating this person, you're totally into them. They're totally into you. And what do your friends start saying? They're like, dude, where have you been? We haven't heard from you in like three weeks, you know? And you're like, you know, you haven't. And I'm not really concerned about that. And I got to go because we're having a couple's mani-pedi right now. That's what I'm up to. So see you later. You just don't care. I don't know if you've ever had a pedicure, but it's actually pretty awesome. So I'm just going to say that. It's a foot massage thing going on there. What I'm trying to tell you is that God has designed your body and my body to experience this physiologically It has a role. It has a place these passions and these feelings that that physiologically interact with the parts of our brain That are associated with addiction bring us together with these other people But let me tell you something they are not what marriage is about and i'm even going to say it. You ready those things fade They do But in a committed marriage one that is given the gift of time and the investment of work, they turn into something so much greater, so much deeper, so much richer, so much more profound, and frankly, infinitely more real. W. H. Auden says, like everything which is not the result of fleeting emotion, but rather the creation of time and will, marriage, happy or unhappy, is infinitely more interesting than any romance, however passionate. And so, whereas it is absolutely true that you don't need a piece of paper to have these feelings and these passions, you can agree on that, it is also absolutely true that you need a piece of paper to be married, to have a marriage. And that is because marriage is not about passions and feelings. Marriage is about covenant. Marriage is a long-term binding commitment secured by a covenant that you willingly enter into before God and the most significant people in your life. And here's what that security does. It makes your relationship more intimate, not less. It opens the doorways to intimacy that you will not otherwise experience with this person. And the reason I say that is because until you have that covenant, the relationship that you're in is a consumer relationship. And that's not, you know, I'm not critical of that. I'm just trying to show you the difference. A consumer relationship is one in which, and you don't think this through intentionally, but it's true nevertheless, you're more concerned with your own needs and your own feelings and your own this and your own that than you are with the relationship itself, which is why you haven't yet committed to the relationship by means of the covenant of marriage. You want to keep your options open because if or really when Because it's not an if, it's a when. When this person hurts us, when this person betrays us as we define betrayal, when this person lets us down, when this person just isn't getting it done for us in some way, shape, or form anymore, then you're free to be able to say, listen, I'm just going to pack my stuff up and I'm going to go, okay? And what I'm trying to do today is to show you that marriage calls you to something so much more beautiful than that. So much more powerful so much more profound, so much more transformative and significant. It calls you to the kind of intimacy that you can only have with someone who, because of the covenant they have made with you, has nowhere to run when you stop hiding and pretending and denying and concealing who you really are, which incidentally is what all of us do when we date. We all do it, and we don't do it in a sinister way. Like, we're not going, oh, I'm going to intentionally deceive this person, you know. We don't do that. We just, like, show up and wash her car before she comes out for work so she has a clean car. Like, ooh, who washed my car? No, I don't have to wonder about that. There's a rose with a card laying by my door. Oh, can I help your mom? Can I do this for you? Can I do that for you? Can I, you know... And we, we present the best version of ourselves that we can possibly present to this person and with an energy that we just cannot possibly keep up forever certainly not in marriage. Marriage calls you to the kind of intimacy that you can only have with someone who, because of the marriage covenant that they have made with you, has nowhere to run when they see the real you. All of the wonderful things about you, and that's true about all of us, we all have them, but all of the less than wonderful things too. And so, you know, when somebody comes to me and says, Tom, we're totally in love, and you know, like, I mean we don't need a piece of paper to tell us that like we we have that already you know and marriage is all about feelings and and I just want to say no 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 marriage is not all about feelings marriage at its heart is about covenant and it offers through that covenant so much more beautiful things than what you're experiencing with the feelings and the second thing that I Would typically say is I would say you know I think you're also missing the mission of marriage which believe it or not is not romance and it's not fun and it's not the ending of loneliness those things are awesome like that's a part of it enjoy those things they're wonderful but the mission of marriage is deep character change through deep friendship and knowing that is a game-changer both for the married and for the unmarried and the reason that I say that is we either all were before we were married or we all either all are if we're still single looking for the perfect person, the perfectly compatible person for us. Here's the problem with that quest. That person does not exist. There is no perfect person for you, no perfectly compatible one. There are some people who are more compatible than others, I agree. But perfect? Forget it. Why? Because we're all people, which means we're all broken, we're all wounded, we're all inherently selfish, we all have about 100,000 other flaws as well that we don't need to get into. You kind of get the idea, right? And so as we've moved through life, various significant people in our lives, by the way, have tried to convince us of some of these things. They've tried to reveal some of these things to us. Our parents have tried to convince us of some of this. Our siblings have certainly and repeatedly tried to convince us of some of this. Some of our college roommates have tried to expose some of our flaws to us. Maybe friends have sat down with us and gone, hey man, here's your problem. And maybe we've seen it. Maybe we've seen a little of it. Maybe we've worked on it. Maybe we refuse to see it. You know, the blindest person is the one who refuses to see. But getting married will expose the whole of it. And staying married will require you to work on it. Dr. Stanley Hauerwas, who's a theologian, an ethicist, he's like a public intellectual As a professor at Duke University. I don't know if he's still there or not. He was a professor both in their divinity school and in their law school. So he's like super smart. Says this about marriage. He says, the assumption is that there is someone just right for us to marry and that if we look closely enough, we will find that just right person. This assumption overlooks a very crucial aspect to to marriage. It fails to appreciate the fact that you always marry the wrong person. We never know whom we marry. We just think we do. And why is that? Because they're washing our car and they're bringing us teddy bears and chocolates and they're presenting the most wonderful. They're opening all the doors. And it's all sincere. I mean, they're not trying to deceive us. We just haven't seen the other side of the ledger. We never know whom we marry. We just think we do. Or even if we at first marry the right person, just give it a while, and he or she will change. For marriage, being the enormous thing it is, means that we are not the same after we have entered into it. I love this statement. One of the primary challenges of marriage is learning how to love and care for the stranger to whom you so often find yourself married. It's remarkable, isn't it? And I will tell you from personal experience that's dead on. I mean, you know, when Beth and I, and she's here, so I might, I'm tired, so I might get emotional. <laughs> when, Beth, when Beth and I got married 26 years ago, uh, I, man, I felt like I was robbing the bank. You know, I'm like, this is it. Like, I just backed up a whole bunch of trucks to Fort Knox and loaded up with gold with permission and drove away. Like, it could not possibly get better. She could not possibly get better. I will tell you, 26 plus years later, she's a completely different person. Different and so much better. That is part of the gift of following Jesus in your marriage. When you follow him, what is, what is he doing? He is transforming you and this person you're married to into his own image. So he takes the two of you and he's transforming you into his image and his image is infinitely more beautiful than mine or yours or anyone else's. And so she's more beautiful to me today, now, than 26 years ago, and in every possible way, which really violates nature, if you think about it. Like that's, I'm not getting younger and better looking. I don't know if you've noticed that, but if you haven't, God bless you, okay? It was so funny. A couple of years back, there was a guy who came to our church just to visit, and he was like, he attends another church out in West Broward, and he's friends of a pastor friend of mine. So he's like, I'm just coming this once, and I just wanted to see, you know, what you guys are doing. So the service ends. I'm standing down here, and he comes walking up, and I come walking over. He gets about three feet from me, and he literally like jumps back like this. And his first words, I'm not kidding, were, "Whoa, you look a lot younger on stage." And uh, <laughs> true story, I remember his name. It's Bill. It's not Bill. It's Peter. Um, it's not. It's not Peter. It's Jim. Um, so Gus said this to me, and immediately, in my mind, and I didn't say this, and I want credit, okay, so this is my moment of credit. What I almost said but did not say was, and you looked a lot smarter from the stage, you know, and I, and I let that go, I let that go. That was the Holy Spirit, he said, don't say that, that's not going to, that's not going to help. More beautiful, not less, as Jesus conforms you to his image. I got a better deal than I ever knew. And she just keeps changing. And I'm happy about it. Dr. Haravas also says this. I love this quote, too. He says, we don't fall in love and get married. Instead, we get married and learn what love requires. There it is. And here's what love requires, at least in part. It requires you and me to own our brokenness, the consequences of our wounds, the fact that we are inherently selfish, and a hundred thousand other flaws as well, and then to work on them. <laughs> and marriage facilitates that kind of growth and development. It gives you a safe place with a safe person to work it through with. It gives you somebody who's committed to seeing you become the best version of you in this life that you can be and to whom you've committed to do exactly the same thing. Why? For yourself? No, no, no. For the glory of Christ, okay? So, marriage is a really big deal. And it's a big deal, guys, specifically because God, the creator and author of marriage, has made it a big deal. I mean, if you think about it, the Bible begins really with a wedding. God creates everything, including the first man and the first woman. Then God Himself officiates, if you will, the very first wedding. And then He blesses this marriage. And He commands them to be fruitful and to multiply and to go fill the world with a godly seed. A worshiping community of people that honor Him. And you know the story. They miserably failed to do that. And so what did God do? He stepped in and He covenanted to do what they failed to do. And he covenanted to do it through Jesus, who all through the New Testament is referred to as the bride. He's the bridegroom, sorry, the bridegroom. And his people that he's calling out of the world, the people from every race, every language, every nation, every tribe, every political affiliation, all kinds of diversity are referred to as the bride. But what's the problem? The problem is that we're not compatible. The problem is that he is absolutely perfect, and us? Okay, brokenness, wounded, you know, selfish, 100,000 other things. And let me remind you of what Jesus didn't do. He didn't say, well, <laughs> you know what, guys, now taking a good look, I just don't think we're a very good match. I mean, I know we had that kind of attraction thing, but science has unmasked that. That was just a physiological deal, it was kind of an addiction, you know, and, it's a, and that's passed anyway at this point. And so here's the thing. I'm out. I'm just going to take my stuff and I'm just going to go and I'm going to look for somebody else because what I value most in this relationship is the meeting of my needs. We have a covenant making, covenant keeping God. And so, do you know what that did? That left Jesus with nowhere to run but toward us the perfectly holy one took upon himself all of our wounds, all of our dysfunctions, all of our selfishness, all hundred thousand plus of our flaws, all of our brokenness. And the innocent one died for the guilty so that we might be forgiven of the whole of it and so that he might have us for forever for himself. The bridegroom and the bride, which is, by the way, how the Bible ends. It looks forward to the end. It ends, by the way, in a wedding. John writes this in Revelation 21, beginning in verse 1. He says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And then he says, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem. What is that? This is a book full of symbols, and this is a symbol, a picture of God's people. He's saying, then I saw the church, then I saw the redeemed, then I saw the saved, then I saw those who have seen God and have seen themselves and have come to him and said, rescue me from me. And who have been rescued, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a what? As a bride adorned for her what? Husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Marriage is a big deal. And it's such a big deal that God chose marriage to be the primary metaphor of his relationship with me and with you of his effort to unite heaven and earth. It's a remarkable thought, and the love of that God is incidentally what enables you to love. To love your spouse, to love your kids, love your friends, even when you're not being loved in return. You know, when you take the person that you're married to and you make that person the primary filler of your love tank, okay, well, what happens when they're not filling your love tank? Yeah, you don't have any love to give, do you? Because you're reliant on them. And then they're reliant on you, and you're reliant on them. And then it's this vicious cycle of going this way. But when Jesus is the primary filler of your love tank, you're not reliant on that person's love toward you. You're filled with the love of Christ daily, hourly, sometimes minute by minute. And what does that enable you to do? It enables you to love even when that person doesn't deserve it. Even when that person isn't returning it. And what is the nature of the love of Jesus? Because it's not a nature that says, hey, you know what? You're just not getting it done for me. I think this was a great big mistake. And uh, we're not a very good match. We're not compatible. And I'm going to go now. It's a love that runs toward. And so you say, all right, so what do I do with all of this? Well, I think it depends on who you are and kind of where you're at in life. So if you are unmarried... I think one of the things you do is you stop looking for the perfectly compatible person who doesn't actually exist. And you start looking for a person, yes, that you have chemistry with. Chemistry does matter. Let me affirm that. But far more importantly, you look for somebody with whom you can form a deep, lasting friendship. And most importantly, more significantly than anybody else or anything else, you look for somebody who's going to love and follow Jesus at least as passionately as you you look for someone who can help you become the best version of you in this life for the glory of christ and to whom you can commit and through the security of covenant give the space to to do exactly the same thing in return but if you're married i think one of the things you do is you stop elbowing the person who's sitting next to you No, I mean that, really. Like every time I talk about marriage, you know, I mean, I I want to do the same thing. You kind of want to go, hey, didn't your mom say that? Hey, you know, haven't I said something like that? Hey, I think your sister talked to you about that, right? Hey, I think that's a good point for you. Hey, you know what? I'm going to send this message to you because I can do it on the app now, and I think maybe you ought to listen to it again. (laughs) We're awful that way. It's not a message for them. It's a message for me. Just worry about you, and then confess to God and to your spouse that you are broken and wounded, inherently selfish, and have at least 100,000 other flaws that you need to work on. And confess that you've likely at least been treating your relationship like a consumer relationship versus the covenant relationship that it's actually supposed to be, and that you've just discovered that marriage is not designed to make you happy. It may come with happiness— It can be a source of great happiness or great misery. What it's designed to do is to make you holy. It's a very different aim. And then you ask God and your spouse to forgive you and to help you by the power of the Holy Spirit become the best version of you that you can be in this life, both for God and for that person. And you commit in humility to helping them do the same. And that might require the aid of a third person, like of a counselor. And if you're the man, the husband... You initiate that. It doesn't mean that you go, hey, I made a plan and now we're going to go. You know, it means you come to your wife and you do this first. And you suggest the idea that, you know what, maybe we should go see a counselor. Maybe that would be helpful to us. It seems like we just keep getting stuck in the same argument or we're stuck in the same patterns. Like what I'm pretty sure that at this point, we're not going to figure this out, (laughs) So we need somebody else to step in and to say to me things that you're trying to say to me, but for whatever reason, I can't hear. And to say to you things that I'm trying to say to you, but for whatever reason, you know, you can't hear. Like, we need to get help. So are you game for that? Are you good with that? Can we talk together about maybe who could be helpful? What do you think I should do to find the right person to steward us through that process so that this can be a source? of joy in our lives so that we can grow in oneness together as we committed to do. And then lastly, I think you pursue Jesus and you make him the filler of your love tank. And when you do, as he fills you, you'll find surprisingly at times that you have love to give. So marriage is a big deal. It's a big deal because God has made it so. And it offers something so much more beautiful and profound and sacred and deep and real than any other kind of relationship. And I don't say that to, you know, make you feel guilty if you're living together or whatever. I'm like, I'm not trying to do that. What I'm trying to do is I'm trying to hold before you something better and to call you to it. So think about those things, okay? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gift of marriage with all of its trials and struggles and with all of its joys and moments of, of great love. We thank you for the marriage that you have effected with us, the covenant by which you do not deny us love, even though it costs you everything. We thank you for the bridegroom who is Jesus, who has suffered and died who is risen again, who is coming to claim us, who lives within us by His Spirit, who has begun a good work that He finishes, who makes us like Himself when we submit and humble ourselves to Him. Lord, we thank You for Christ who fills our hearts with exactly the kind of love we need and that we can't find from anyone else. It's not even fair to, to look for it in someone else and who frees us to love. So, Lord, free us to love. Free us to love the person we're married to if we're married. Free us to love our family and our friends. Free us to love a world that needs to be loved. and Free us to love people who don't return our love. Free us to love, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen.